Amen. Hey, have I mentioned I like music? I'm probably going to mention it a couple times today. So, I, man, the fact that we get to gather and sing about the Almighty who reigns forever, and that Almighty that reigns forever desires us to seek after his heart and to be drawn to him. And that just, that just is amazing to me. It's amazing. I hope it's amazing to you. I, I, I hope every day as followers of Jesus that that still amazes you. Um, because I, I, I don't even think we truly even get how amazing it, it is to be called kids of Jesus. It's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, and, and the fact that there are so many people out there that don't know who Jesus is. They don't know. And they don't know because we haven't told them. It, it, it's Muslim, the Muslim people are having their celebration this month. And the, the, the religion of Islam is growing faster in this world right now than Christianity is. And we, we, get, we get to pray. Prayer is our primary work. And we pray, but we also need to put feet to those prayers, and we need to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. And we come in and we get to sing, I, I think are great songs to our God, and I think our God is, 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 is grateful for our worship through song. But we really do need to be praying, and we really need to be doing, talking to people about Jesus. Because if we're not, then... then as in other songs, this is all a show. This is a show, and I don't want this to be a show, and I don't want it to be this just for us. It needs to be about, I mean, someone told each of us about Jesus, and now we get the opportunity to tell someone else about Jesus, and I don't know if we're doing that well. <laughs> He's amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. And his joy, his peace that he gives us is amazing. And there's so many people out there that don't understand joy and peace because they don't know Jesus. We're two weeks from Easter. We're two weeks from Easter. And, and, and traditionally on Easter, we expect or we hope that there's going to be more people in these seats. These people aren't going to just show up because more and more this world does not they're skeptical more and more. There's just more and more skeptics when it comes to church, even on Easter. And, uh, and the only way that people are going to come through these doors and we have extra or more people here on any Sunday, especially Easter, isn't because we've put out a, a Facebook ad and invited or we've put up a cool looking banner or any of those things. It's because we go next to someone and say, hey, why don't you come and uh, celebrate Easter with me. Or maybe it's, it's, it's and I'm going to say this, you, you better already have a relationship with them before you even ask that question. Um, it, I, I just want to encourage us to really be making a point to look for the people that God has surrounded you with because they're there and if they're not there, then I would encourage you to find, get somewhere where you are surrounded by people that don't know Jesus 
so that you can get to know them, build a relationship, and invite them to come in. And I think about that because in two weeks we are celebrating the greatest thing that's ever happened to any of us, and that is Jesus dying on the cross and raising again. And this whole past uh, series that we've been doing the last few weeks has been preparing our hearts for Easter, pursuing our Father's heart, and we've talked about spiritual disciplines, and we're going to continue to do that, but one that we just need to, I think, be even better about is, and that is uh, the intentional relationship building for the opportunities to show people who Jesus is in our lives, and that they can have Jesus as well. The first week we did, we talked about living generously. Uh, the second week we talked about godly prayer and we looked at the example that Jesus gave us for prayer. Last week we talked about fasting and how we should fast and when it's appropriate to fast. And if you missed any of those, they're available on our podcast, they're available on YouTube, uh, and you can go listen or watch any of those and encourage if you've missed any of those uh, to go do that. Uh, if you have questions about any of those gener- generous living, prayer, or fasting, I encourage you to do that. Uh, today we're going to continue with that, but before we move, I want us to be reminded that we have foundation scriptures that all of this starts with, and we've been in Matthew 6, and we'll be there again today, but in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, it says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 6.1 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so the foundation for all of these spiritual disciplines, these habits that we have as followers of Jesus is that we're pursuing our Father's heart. We're pursuing perfection. We're pursuing these righteous acts that God has given us, but there's a right way to do them. And that is, as we pursue them, it's our Father's heart and it's not for our own recognition and gain. And so that is the foundation for all of them. It's the foundation for all of them. And so we're asking ourselves, are we pursuing the Father's heart? And then in that, we're asking the question, and we started this, this, uh, with this series, is, is or do we feel like we're pursuing the Father's heart, or are we really, truly pursuing the Father's heart? And so it's the whole idea of feel versus real. What do we feel like we're doing, but what are we really doing? And, and I brought that up, and I mentioned that and said that uh, this came from a video that I was looking at on disc golf to make sure I was, uh, see if I could do better at disc golf. And, and, uh, and so, it was, and they asked that question, feel versus real. Uh, it's come to my attention, though, that uh, not everyone uh, that is here knows what disc golf is. And, um, and so I've had one person that came to me, and I won't share their name, but even in my quick speaking, um, they thought I was saying that I was into disco. <laughs> and they imagined me in a white leisure suit and doing disco moves. Um, and so I thought, I better be a little more clear on what disc golf is, in case someone in here, someone else doesn't know or you don't realize. Uh, this right here is a disc golf basket. Uh, and and if, you've ever, if you've been on TFC campus, there's 12 of these. If you've been to uh, Rose Lane uh, Rec Department, there's uh, about 23 baskets out there right now. There's 18 holes, but we played it different ways, different times. And so this is disc golf, and the object is to throw, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, Ryan, throw a Frisbee into the basket, okay? Which, that's not too hard. This is the traditional, this is a regular Frisbee. If I think of Frisbee, this is what I think of most of the time, a Frisbee, and it's this size. And when I played Ultimate Frisbee, I used this and, and would throw this one around. And, and I've been throwing these around for a long time. Um, when I got into 
to disc golf, I found out you can't say Frisbee because Frisbee is a marketed trademark by Whammo, and they don't let you say it unless you're playing with Whammo products. That's how it goes. Um, this is a regular Frisbee. This is a disc golf disc. You can see that it's a little bit smaller. The size is a little bit different there. Um, they weigh the same, these two about the same. This is 175 grams. This one I think is 100 and yeah, 73 or 74 grams, so about the same, um, but a little bit smaller. Uh, there's different ones. This is my putter. Um, this is my favorite mid-range, and so as I get farther from the, from the basket, I'm going to use this one. The putter, I'm going to be closer. This is my mid-range. Again, a little bit smaller. You don't want to try to catch one of these when they're flying fast at you, um, unless you want to hurt your, your finger. Um, the, these are made to catch. Um, this is my fairway driver, so now I'm farther from the basket. I'm going to throw this one. Again, a little bit smaller. Um, and then this is my long, long distance driver that I'm going to throw from the tee box. And where's the tee box, you might ask? Um, most tee boxes for a basket would be anywhere from as short as 200 feet to up to 900 or 1,000 feet. Um, and so uh, they're far away. Uh, how many feet are, do you have on a regular football field? 300? 300? Yeah. The answer is 360 because you've got to include the end zones. Um, but 300, that's what we typically think. So think 360 probably is about the distance. If you go over to Rose Park uh, to the place there, the number one hole is, I think, right at 352 feet, you know? And so you're throwing it almost the distance of a... Of a um, I don't always get it all the way there. It is slightly downhill. My son Jared did throw one one time. He took a forehand shot this way. I throw mostly backhand. He took one like this. It went up. It twisted like this. It came back and dropped straight into the basket. Got his first hole in one. I got to see it. That was a fun thing. Um, but this is disc golf. And there are certain ways to throw. Every one of these discs flies different. And I throw them different. And there's a technique to doing it. Okay? If you're going to grab this Frisbee, most time I'm going to throw it, I'm going to start down here at my waist and I'm going to throw up like this. And, and it's going to go and it's going to flatten out and it's going to fly nice. Anyone want to try? Anyone ready? Who's ready? Ready? No. Catch it with your mouth. If I throw this one, no, no, no. If I throw this one like I just threw this one, it's going to go up like this and come spiking right back down. It's going to get no distance at all. Everyone throws differently. And I got to learn these. I got to know how they fly. I got to know how to throw them to get them to do what I want them to do. And it's just like our walk with Christ. Now, there are times where I feel like I'm doing it all right, but it, it's not going right. There are other times I feel like I'm doing it right, and guess what? It is going right. Something happened Thursday night. I played with my boys, Jared and Colby. They were running their mouths how they were going to beat dad. I don't know. That fired me up. I was throwing it right. They didn't even come close to beating me on Thursday night. Okay? But something happened between Thursday night and Saturday morning, and it didn't even feel right. And it showed because it didn't fly right either. And it didn't go anywhere. I don't know what happened between then and then, but something happened, and it threw me off. And sometimes, even when I walk with Christ, the littlest thing, and we may not even know what it is, can get us off. And it may feel like we're doing the right thing, but we're not. Or it may even feel like we're not doing the right thing, and we're not doing the right thing. 
And so again, this whole idea of feel versus real, the hope is, is that we're seeking and pursuing the Father's heart. We're asking the Holy Spirit in these areas of spiritual discipline, am I doing, really doing what you're asking me to do? And so today, again, Matthew chapter 6, invite you to turn there, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 24, and I'm going to ask you to stand as you turn there. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Father, we thank you for your words here, the words of Jesus that we have for us to look at today. And we simply ask that your word today will be alive and active and that your spirit will reveal to us truth. So Father, whether we feel like we're doing the right things or not, we can know the reality that we are being made perfect and that we are being drawn into your righteousness, that we are doing it because we are pursuing your heart and not because we're looking for any kind of recognition from man. And Father, most importantly, we do this because you have a heart for the lost and we desire to have that same heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The heading that I have here above this, above this section of Scripture is treasures in heaven. Uh, anyone have anything different than that? Treasures in heaven on their Bibles. Anyone? Treasures in heaven? Jesus teaches about money, okay? Any, anyone else, anything different? Treasures in heaven. Um, mine says treasures in heaven. As I was doing this, as I was preparing and studying for this, I came across one, one article that, that called this the spiritual discipline of simplicity. The spiritual discipline of simplicity. And I really liked that. We like stuff. We in this country accumulate stuff, don't we? We have stuff. I actually like moving because it helps me get rid of stuff. <laughs> now, I don't, I, I don't want to move anytime soon, um, but I just, stuff bugs me. It just bugs me. It gets in the way. It clutters. It's, and this whole idea of the spiritual discipline of simplicity is something that when I'm looking at this that I really enjoy. And so there are three questions here that I'd like to ask as we walk through these verses together. First one is this, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Verses 19 through 21. For the third time today, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's our treasure? Another way to say this, what do we value? 
What do we value? What holds the most value to us in our lives? Now, I, I want to be clear that, that Jesus isn't talking about here saying that money is not good and that we shouldn't have it and it's not good to save and it's not good to have things. Okay, Scripture's clear on that. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Is this something, someone that's saving? Is this ant? Yes, there's saving going on, okay? Saving for provision, okay? So this isn't wrong. It's just there's a right attitude to do it with. Luke 16, 9 says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwelling. Jesus talking here. He says, use wealth. Why not? You have it. Use it. Make friends with it. It'll be gone someday. But if it's there, go ahead and use it. 1 Timothy 5.8 Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We need to provide for our families. We need to provide for our neighbors. And so he's not saying that these things are things we don't use at all. It's what's our attitude for them. What's our treasure? How do we value these things? And then 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives us wealth. God gives us things for what? It says for our enjoyment. And that's fine. These aren't bad things. We look around and even this room shows the wealth that we have even here in this culture. And this isn't bad, but how do we value it? What's, how, how, how much treasure do we put into this? How much are we holding on to these things? They're all just things. It's just stuff. Moths. It mentions moths. Moths, when I think of moths and I think about stuff, I think about what? Clothing. Right? Moths destroy our clothing. Who has way too many clothes? Anyone? Get rid of it then. I, I've got t-shirts. Oh, but this t-shirt reminds me of... I gave two t-shirts to Colby from college. Yes. From college. I said, I want these back. They are ratty. They are so bad. And then I'm like, they're t-shirts. Vermin. Other scriptures say rust. Uh, rust eats away at things. Vermin eats away at things. So it makes me think of food. Do we store up our food? We store up our food. It makes me think of some people that are storing up their food for when the bad times come. It's good to have food. I want to make sure I have enough food that if someone stops by, if I need to feed them, I got enough food. That's not always the case. I have two grown boys living in my house. Um, so, but, you know, not too much. The third one, thieves. Thieves, they come in and steal. When they come in and steal, they don't take junk. If they did, we'd leave our doors open and say, go ahead. Have at it to the junk. But they take good stuff. They take money. They take nice things. It says, do not store up those things. We don't need to. What do we value? Are we valuing these things? Do we value our stuff so much that it takes our eyes off of where things should be? Things are fine. What do we value them? 
Makes me think of the scripture in the Old Testament in Joshua. Um, God tells them to attack Jericho. They do the whole marching around the cities thing. Anyone thinking of uh, VeggieTales right now? Um, slushies. Um, they're marching around the cities. They go in. They, they take Jericho. He says there are certain things. We take everything back. There's a certain way to do it. Certain things are considered sacred. They go into their next battle after this, and they're defeated. And uh, Joshua knows something's wrong. And so God instructs them to break them up into all the tribes, and they narrow it all the way down. And Achan comes forward and, and announces it's his fault. Achan says, it's true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done when I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. He coveted them. The value of those things was more than the value of obeying God for him. The value of stuff was more important than the value of obedience to his father. And it affected the whole nation. It affected the whole nation. Do we value our things or do we value obedience? Makes me think of the rich young ruler in chapter 19 of Matthew. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony. You should honor your father and mother. You should love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all of these. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect... Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. The spiritual dis discipline of simplicity. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth and I'm sure it's because he valued that wealth above obedience to God. What do you value the most? What do you value the most? Have you ever heard this question? I was asked this when I was a kid. I'm sure I had to write a paper on it. I hope I wasn't the only, at least a paragraph. If you were stranded on a deserted island and you could have one thing with you, what would that one thing be? Anyone ever been asked that? Had to write something on that? Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you for nodding your heads. I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. What would that one thing be? We can give the, oh, Jesus in my heart. Well, I hope that's the real answer. But we start thinking of other things. I ask that question, I, have I mentioned I like music? When the iPod came out, when I discovered the iPod, it was the coolest thing ever to me. I had cassette tapes. Cassette tapes, they're real things, okay? They, they just are pictures on t-shirts nowadays, but these were real things. I had a case that held 100 of them. I think I had two cases. You had 50 on one side, zipped it closed, flipped it over, you had 50 on the other. Don't ever flip it and not forget to zip. 
Um, that happened to me a few times. Uh, I think I had two of those, 200, uh, close to 200 cassette tapes. And then CDs came out, and you had the big old album things you'd flip through, and, or you'd have them all. Or then you'd forget that one's in the car in that sleeve, but the case is still in here in my house. And it's, where, well, there's no CD. Um, and so you're looking for them. And so when the iPod came out, oh, all my music in one place. Then I had to get a one that had more memory. Then I had to get one with more memory. <laughs> Jessica's like, how many of these are you going to buy? So I'm going to pass these on to the kids. Um, so I always said if I was on a des- des- deserted, desert, desert island, deserted island, deserted island, I'd want my iPod. Then someone remind me, there's no electricity on this island. It's deserted. You only got about five hours of playing time. And I'm like, oh, shoot. What do we value? Some of you out there would have said, well, I would take my Bible. Well, that's good. Yes, that's what we should take. I was going to take my iPod. It was full of Christian music, mostly. Um, but what do we value? And do we really, are we comfortable asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, when it comes to treasures and when it comes to value, are we, are we, do we feel like we're doing the right thing? Or are we truly open to asking the Holy Spirit what we're, where our heart really is in that? I'll tell you, studying this this week has been a challenge for me. It's been a challenge for me. Because I have to ask this question. I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Am I really doing the right thing when it comes to treasures? I have too much stuff. Second question, how is your vision? How is your vision? Verses 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Uh, The Greek word here for healthy implies generosity. Um, and, And then also for unhealthy, it implies stingy. Healthy eyes equals generosity. Unhealthy eyes equals stingy. When it comes to our treasures, are we generous with them or are we stingy? Uh, In this, eye often equals heart. And so our focus, our eye also is where we are with our heart. Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. In Hebrew, parallelism they means you're taking two phrases that are different but they mean the same thing so joy to the heart is really the same as light to the eyes it's the same thing where's our heart where are we focused what are we looking at someone who focuses on themselves is stingy with their treasures and is in darkness someone who focuses on God and others is generous and they walk in the light. How's your vision? How's your vision? During the 40 days of prayer, we talked about, as an example, very similar to the feel versus real, is the whole idea of our eyes and our vision. You ever taken and putting on someone else's glasses and tried to walk around in them? How's that work? It's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard to do. You get sick almost, right? And it's the same idea that sometimes we need that prescription because we don't even realize our eyes have changed until we've gone to the doctor and gotten that new prescription. And then we put it on, we see clearly. 
My hope is that when it comes to treasures, when it comes to our vision, when it comes to our heart, that we'll be able to honestly say, Holy Spirit, give me a checkup on my eyes and help me to see clearly where you would have me to be. Are we focused on the seen or are we focused on the unseen? 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The things we see, this room, temporary. Yet we get excited about this room, right? It means so much to us. It's temporary. What's eternal? Jesus in here is eternal. Our bodies are what matter. This is the temple. This is a room with stuff. It's temporary. Do we get stuck focused on the seen? Or our eyes fixed on the unseen? Jesus, the spirit inside of us. The kingdom. The ways of the kingdom. James Boyce in his book, Sermon on the Mount, says, Do you see spiritual things clearly? Or is your vision of God and his will for your life clouded by spiritual cataracts or nearsightedness brought on by an unhealthy preoccupation with things? I am convinced that this is true for many Christians, particularly those living in the midst of Western affluence. What are we looking at? Where are we concentrated? Are eyes on the things of this world or are they fixed on Jesus? And when I say things of this world, I also mean the stuff of this world. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Everything that hinders. Sometimes that is stuff. That is things. Things that we value above obedience to God. And sin that so easily entangles. And let us run the perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The things that entangle and hinder is often where we get our focus and where we get our eyes. And our vision needs to be Jesus. Third thing, who or what do you serve Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. MacArthur in his book, Matthew, said this about these two opposing sides, God and money. The orders of those two masters are diametrically opposed and cannot coexist. One commands us to walk by faith. The other demands to walk by sight. One calls us to be humble, the other to be proud. One to set our things on, uh, mind on things above, the other to set things, things on things below. One calls us to love light, the other to love darkness. The one tells us to look toward things unseen and eternal, and the other to look at things seen and temporal. It's a matter of priority. God must be first. God must be first. Luke 14, 26, 27 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be made my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Hate my father, mother, wife, children, brothers. Strong language. We value God above them. 
We value God above them. Who do we serve? 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money, money in itself, not bad. When it becomes more valuable, valuable than obedience to God, when we love it more than we love God, we can't do both. Some of you might be saying, well, Pastor Rock, I mean, I'm good. I feel like I'm good. This, I'm fine with all of this. Did you see that last verse? What did it say? Some who were with the faith have wandered off. I don't want to see you wander off. These were believers. These were people that said, I will follow Jesus. But they've wandered off because of the trappings of wealth and the distractions of money and stuff. I don't want to see that happen. And so if anything else, just let this serve as a reminder to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to value him above all things. Pursuing the Father's heart in the matter of possessions and priorities truly comes back to where we have set our eyes. Seen things are temporary. Unseen things are eternal. Are we kingdom-minded? Are we caught up in worldly pursuits? What is the real, what is the feel verse real in our hearts? I'm going to ask the music team to come and I'm going to ask you guys, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? What do you value? How high a value do you put on people and things? How high a value do you put on obedience to Christ? How is your vision? Who or what do you serve? Are you pursuing the Father's heart? Lord, we thank you that you love us so much you gave your son, that you gave us these words that you draw us to your heart. Encourage us to be obedient to you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing. And if God is speaking to you this morning, our altars are open. Please feel free to come and pray. Our, our elders will be in the prayer room. Please feel free to go out these doors to the prayer room there on the right. Don't leave today if God is speaking to you.